Is it someone whom we find praying in a synagogue? Is it someone who's a, a descendant of Abraham? Is it maybe someone who lives in that country over there called Israel? What is a Jew? Well, it's easier to say what a Jew was originally. The, the word came to be used for all those who were descended from the 12 tribes of Israel. In our Sunday evening Bible study I mentioned earlier, we've been observing the behaviour of the Jews in the books of Ezekiel and also Samuel. These were the people that God had chosen to show favour to. He had a, a relationship with them. Both God and the people were part of this legal contract, if you like. It was a covenant. If they obeyed him, he would bless them. Now, although God was always faithful in what he promised to them, they were almost always disobedient. Even their kings were, for the most part, bad rather than good. And they suffered for it. You heard me mention about Ezekiel prophesying, and this is what happened. You know, God, he, he, he roused Israel's enemies and encouraged them to invade Israel and take over and even take the people away prisoners into foreign countries. But God did restore some of them to their land and they started to rebuild. A new temple was made. Worship was reinstituted. So by the time, by the time Jesus visited our world, Jerusalem was a thriving city and it had this sophisticated religious structure centered around a temple. This uh, newer and bigger temple, the biggest that ever been. But we know what happened. Now Jesus was not only a Jew himself, but the very Messiah, long awaited by generations of Jews. And despite the privilege of getting to see the appearance of their own king, they rejected him. And those who should have known better, the religious leaders themselves, they led the opposition to Jesus and had him killed. I'd like us today to see if we could agree on what Paul meant and identify who the true Jews are. It's clear to me anyway from what we've read. Paul is telling us that now the followers of Jesus Christ are now the real Jews. So if you've been taught otherwise, then I just pray that you would be patient and, and listen, and also only listen to me if I'm getting it from the Word of God. 
and not just my own opinion. So there's this big question, did God make a brand new Israel? Or did he rearrange the original one? Well, I'd suggest it doesn't matter uh, too much. Imagine in our government, you know when the Prime Minister announces a cabinet reshuffle, what does he do? He gets rid of all the people that's been causing him trouble, and he gets in a load of people who like him. That's what Prime Ministers do. That's a cabinet reshuffle. Is it a new cabinet? Or the old one reformed? Well, you, you could say it was both. So the question isn't that important. We're going to follow Paul closely now. We're going to look at, firstly, the description of the unbelieving Jews. Then we look at the description of the true Jews. If, you, if you're taking notes, I can see someone's taking notes, and you like headings. First heading, the people of the flesh. That's the first heading, the people of the flesh first. Now when we consider the warm tone of this letter of Paul's. This third chapter doesn't half make a drastic change. He launches into this warning, and the, the language is quite harsh. But given the threat that he perceives, it, the harshness is quite justified. Now, if you look at that, it might, it might have sounded like Paul was speaking in about three different lots of uh, people. You know, there's the dogs, the evildoers, and, and the other crowd. But he's almost certainly describing the same group of people in three different ways. When we read the Old Testament and make our way through the Mosaic Law, we might think that it was a religion of just mere rules, but that would be a mistake. It was always the case that the hearts were meant to be employed in the service of God. The hearts. They were required to do all those things and have a sincere love for God and others as well. Sometimes the sin of Israel was it just not doing the things God had ordained. They practised the rituals of those around them rather than those given by God. And then there was this other type of sin where many people would do exactly what God had laid down for them to do, but their heart wasn't in it. They thought that the external ritual was more important than the inward attitude. God even said to them on one occasion, more than one occasion, it's more important to show mercy than to carry out all these rituals. So, the people that Paul's warning against here are those who call themselves Jews but whose hearts were far from him. Their hearts were far from God. Some of them even got baptised by John the Baptist. Some of them, believe it or not, some of them believed that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. But they thought all this stuff was just an add-on to their Judaism, rather than the beginning of this brand new era 
of spirit-filled worship in the church of the New Jerusalem. Now you might recall references in Galatians and Ephesians, both of those written by Paul, where he warns about Jews who see Christianity as a means to gain converts to their existing Jewish religion. They were even telling the born-again believers they needed to be circumcised to be acceptable to God. And this teaching undermined the message of the gospel, which is why Paul goes at them so fiercely. As you know, Paul's letters were written in Greek. And there's very often more power in the original language than in our translations. This is a good example here. Those three things he, he calls them, you know, the, the, the dogs and so on, they all begin with the letter K in Greek. And that's a common method to emphasize something, that Paul did that deliberately. Let, let, let's hear these Greek words. Paul says, beware the kainas, beware the kakus ergatas, beware the katatomi. You see, he, he's emphasising it. Uh, you, you'll have noticed some preachers do that. You have three points. You try to make every point start with the same letter. <laughs> some of them are obsessed with it. <laughs> well, so Paul starts by calling them dogs. And friends, it, do, it doesn't sound as harsh to us as it was to the original hearers. You may already be aware in ancient cultures, dogs were despised. I can't think anyone would not love my Max, my, my Labrador Max. I can't believe that. But they were despised. Now look, the habits of dogs are truly vile. You know, they, they eat their own sick. Sorry, had to say that. But really, they were no, the habits were no worse than the other creatures, you know. But what, for whatever reason, the dog came to be the symbol of uncleanness. Now, traditionally, Jews would refer to non-Jews as dogs. If they weren't ritually cleansed by the workings of Jewish law, they were necessarily unclean. You might remember Jesus used the uh, word himself, one day. Jesus used the word himself. This Gentile woman had come up to him while he was eating at this meal and said, my daughter, she's, she's about to die. And, and she knew Jesus could save her. And, and he, she said, well, will you have mercy on my daughter? And he just carried on eating and said, help you. It's a Gentile woman, you know, non-Jew. He said, helping you would be like taking food off the children's plates and giving it to the dog. <laughs> and you know what? That woman's faith in Christ and her humility meant that she persisted. She persisted and Jesus turned to her in love and highly honoured her for her great, great faith 
and then he saved the life of his daughter on top of that. That was the word they used. The Gentiles were nothing but dogs. Yet now, Paul completely reverses this. He says now, the flesh and blood Israelites are the real dogs. It's hard to express, friends, just how offensive this would have been. <coughs> Yet we see the language continued on. We find it in Revelation. The church there is described as a, as a great ornate bride, the new Jerusalem. And it, it tells us that outside that great city, outside were, were, were dogs and witches and perverts and murderers and false religionists and liars, it says. We're going back to verse 2. We see Paul's next description. His description of these people is also evildoers. People who sin habitually. And again, Paul uses a word which turns the tables on the Jews. You see, because the Jews did the works of the law, they considered themselves righteous and everyone else sinners. Evil Jews. In Paul's attack on these unbelieving Jews, they become the evil Jews. All these people over here who are following the way of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, are now the righteous. Whereas all these people over here, the, the so called proper Jews, are the real evil Jews. Shocking, shocking stuff this. And finally in verse 2, Paul describes these Jews as those who are involved in self-mutilation. Now this self-mutilation, this all centres around the practice of circumcision. That subject blokes don't like to talk about. Now that radical practice was meant to reflect a radical attitude of the heart towards God. It was one of the distinguishing marks of the Hebrew people. More than that, it was a sign of the covenant between God and the people of his choosing. Now like everything else the Jews did, Circumcision came to be a merely outward act of obedience. What God really wanted were hearts inclined towards him. Yet once again, the Jews evolved their religion in such a way as to make the outward sign of circumcision more important than the inward work. That's a K word Paul used, I mentioned. Katatamine was again a deliberate choice. Again, a deliberate choice. We've seen now, haven't we, in each of Paul's descriptions, he turns the Jewish identity on its head, and he does it here too. The sign of circumcision, which the Jews held as so important, was now being compared to the mutilation carried out by Pagans. 
These practices were strictly forbidden in the Mosaic law. I can see why, from a, a standpoint of a Jew, they wanted this fella dead. You know, Jesus, when he brought in all these new concepts, and, and now you've got this guy Paul reinforcing it. Self-mutilation. The Jews thought what we do is holy and righteous, and what they do, that's just wicked self-harm. I was reading a book recently by um, uh, an ancient Syrian guy called Lucian, and he, he one this book I was reading is called The Syrian Goddess, and within there it outlines some of the pagan practices that the Jews would have been aware of. Men taking swords and castrating themselves, and then immediately putting on women's clothes and parading around the town. And it's just insane, is it? It's wicked, it's vile, and it's brutal. The Jews rightly despised such practices, but here we have Paul putting the Jews in the same category as those pagans. Circumcision without an accompanying inward work was no better than the gross mutilations carried out by the pagans. Now the worst culprits among the Jews were those who were actively involved in teaching doctrines opposed to faith in Christ. We know that. But the harsh words of Paul's here can rightly apply to all Jews who reject Jesus Christ. This is interesting what Jeremiah says in chapter 9. If you want to turn to it in your Bibles, it's page 772. Page 772. So it's Jeremiah 9 and verse 25. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will punish all those who were circumcised merely in the flesh. All those who were circumcised, but just in the flesh, not in the heart. Any Jewish person who doesn't have faith in Christ is condemned. Almost all Jews, whether in Christ's day, those right down through the centuries, those Jews living today, they rejected the way of salvation. So the people we see today in the UK wearing skullcaps, the people worshipping in synagogues over there in Israel, they are unbelievers. And they are right now, today, without any hope. Friends, let no one tell you that there's salvation outside of Jesus Christ. Let no one persuade you that Jews or anyone else will get a so-called another chance to turn to Jesus. That is just not in the Bible. There is now no distinction. The same principle applies to 
everyone, regardless of their family tree. Okay? The one who believes on the Son, Jesus, has life. The one who does not believe does not have life. And the wrath of God hangs over them. So Paul has clearly identified what a false Jew is. So now we're going to see the description of what a true Jew is, according to Paul. What true circumcision is. So note takers, here's our second heading. The people of the spirit. So we start with the people of the flesh, now we're moving on to the people of the spirit. Verse 3 says quite clearly, we are the circumcision. Who is he referring to? Well, it obviously involves himself. It says we. It involves himself. It obviously involves all the people in the church at Philippi. But verse 3 goes further and tells us more specifically who he includes. And this shows that Paul is referring to all those whose faith is in Jesus Christ. It's you and me, brothers and sisters. It's you and me. We are the real circumcision, he's saying. We are the true Israel of God. We are the ones now in a covenant relationship with God. We are the true Jews. Now just as Paul described the fake Jews in three ways, so he gives us three ways we can identify the real people of God. Those who are the objects of inward circumcision of the heart. The first one he mentions, he says, God's chosen people are those who worship by the Spirit of God. They have the Spirit of God living in them. Their worship of God is enabled by the Holy Spirit within them. You can think of the Holy Spirit like this umbilical cord that connects us directly to God and through which we receive or spiritual life. That's the connection. John chapter 4. Jesus says, The hour is coming and now is here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. True adoration of God is done through the spirit. If we do anything in the service of God, and our heart isn't in it, then we commit the same sin as the evildoers Paul was battling against. Friends, have you ever sung a hymn to God while thinking of something else? Has your mind ever wandered while the word of God was being read or preached? Today, it's sinful. It's sinful. And I'm not asking these questions so you can figure out whether you've done this or that. There's no question that you have. Me too, sadly. 
But don't, don't think that because everyone's guilty of this thing, this, this sin, it doesn't matter. It's an offence to God if you don't worship him with your heart engaged. Imagine giving your friend a present for Christmas. There's this box, and it's covered in wrapping paper, and it has a bow on the top, and one of those little tags that Karen has, where you write the name on. And you, you give that to your friend, and, they, and they're so happy, and they, they take it, and they, they thank you, and they open it to find it's completely empty. Well, I mean, that's the type of thing I'd do for a laugh, but in all seriousness, this is what we do when we pretend to worship God, but our heart isn't in it. When we're not employing the Holy Spirit within us to worship God properly, it's like presenting him with a gift box of worship, which is empty. So no, friends, I'm not asking you if you do these things so you can inwardly answer yes or no. I'm challenging you and challenging myself to be honest with ourselves and with God and acknowledge that we don't always worship God in a spiritual way. I'm asking these questions, friends, to encourage you and encourage myself to try harder in our worship of God. That's all. After all, we're only giving God what he deserves. So the true Israel of God is characterised by worshipping God with their whole hearts in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the first one. The second sign, back in verse 3. These true Jews can also be identified by the tight grip we can be identified by the tight grip we have on Jesus Christ. In our hearts we hold on to him and more importantly he holds on to us. And we boast in him. We don't boast about our own goodness or our own accomplishments. If we are righteous, it's because of him. If we do any good, it's because of him. You find sometimes uh, when, you, when you witness to people and you tell them about being righteous and about this holiness that you have from God, about your absolute confidence of eternal life with God. And they misunderstand. It's happened to me too. They think you're boasting about how good you've made yourself. They think you're so confident in how well behaved you are that you're positive. It's easily good enough to earn a place in the presence of God forever. That's how they read it. So we have to be careful how we phrase these things. As soon as we mention ever to someone about being perfect in righteousness, having this gift of God, you have to, you have to qualify that. You have to say, like, look, I need to tell you, it's not my own righteousness. It's not, it's not this sort of merit that I've earned. It's a gift of God. As soon as we talk about inheriting the world to come, we, we must talk about it like it's a gift. Uh, it's a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. Because why? Because it says that we glory 
in Christ Jesus. We glory in Christ Jesus. We glory in Christ Jesus. So at the end of verse 3, we have this extra one. God's true Israelites place no trust in the flesh. That dimension of spirit, that dimension of Christ. God's true Israelites place no trust in the flesh. So what is the flesh? Well, I said, the immediate reference is to the physical act of circumcision. Most of the Jews, as I said, place their confidence of salvation in outward performances of the body only. Paul elsewhere calls them bodily exercises as opposed to spiritual exercises. And the most important one of these merely outward practices was circumcision. But Paul means us to understand this with flesh in more than one way. He frequently uses the word to describe <coughs> that which people have confidence in instead of confidence in God. He does this in Galatians chapter 3 uh, where flesh describes circumcision but then it's also used to describe life not in the spirit. You've heard it. Flesh versus the spirit. The reformer, John Calvin, he said that to uh, trust in anything other than Christ is to have confidence in the flesh. And this belief would undermine the gospel and endanger a man's soul. For this reason, it's to be opposed with the same determination Paul had. The true child of God does not put their trust in the flesh. They put no confidence in the flesh, it says. So these then are the marks of the true Christian. They possess the Holy Spirit of God, enabling them to worship God properly. They glory in Christ Jesus and not themselves, crediting Him with everything they have. And they have no confidence in the flesh. Their desire is to go through this life in sync with the Holy Spirit and not be led by the wicked passions of their natural selves. Like that cavernous shuffle I mentioned earlier, Jesus came into this world and he reconstituted Israel. However you like to think of it, he changed it. He changed the membership requirements for this true Israel. He introduced a brand new agreement, a brand new covenant. When you and I, you who are believers, when you and I came to Jesus for salvation, we, in a way, we added our signature to the bottom of this holy contract. We signed on the dotted line to say that we were abandoning any hope of being right with God through our own merits. We acknowledged our salvation was all from God. And we agreed to obey and love him all the days of our life. If you quickly go back a few pages to Romans 2, it's page 1133. Uh, Romans chapter 2, it's page 1133. 
page 1133, Romans 2 and verse 29 says, listen carefully, it tells us what a Jew is, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. A Jew is one inwardly. Citizenship of the kingdom of God was taken from the people of the twelve tribes, the Bible says, and granted it instead to a multitude of people from all over the world, throughout all ages. We are the true Jews. And if you happen to meet someone who calls themselves a Jew, in our outreach, uh, Christine uh, met a girl who called herself Jewish a couple of weeks ago. Well, please don't think we're meant to call them names. We don't boast and say, ha, we're the new Jews, you're just a dog. I'm, not, I'm definitely not recommending that. You treat them like everyone else, with love. You, you treat them the same as everyone else who doesn't have Christ and is on a route to damnation. You make sure they understand the grave consequences of sinning against God. You tell them they need a substitute, one who's able to bear the penalty God bears down, uh, brings down on lawbreakers. And then you show them how they can understand the promises made to their ancestors, but understand them in a spiritual way. And in doing this, they'll be converted from an unclean, cursed thing outside the city of God, converted to a real Jew, and worship the God, uh, the God of their fathers, in the way that He always wanted them to be worshipped. Amen. We're going to uh, sing our final hymn, which is 880. We plough the fields and scatter, you all know this, so this better be loud. Okay. <coughs> So let's worship God and the power of the Spirit together.